Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Searcy podcast. If you'd like to get connected to what God is doing at the Searcy campus, you can text the word Searcy to 88000. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find your place in a serve team, and so much more. You can also find today's message notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Just tap the link in the episode description to follow along during the sermon and save notes directly to your phone. Now prepare your hearts to hear a great word from God today. Okay, great. Good to have have you guys here. I want to welcome you back from your holiday break or from traveling. I know many of you have been gone, and I'm glad that you've had that time with your family and and friends and just the time of rest, but welcome home. Um, I shared with you the day after Christmas um, that I was going to be starting the year with uh, a different series. And um, typically, you know, in pastor mode, you kind of start the year and you talk about betterment and the goals of our church and cast a little bit of vision and those types of things. And that's all great. And I'm, I'm sure in these, this first quarter, we're going to be doing some of that. But um, I wanted to be um, kind of sharing um, a topic that's been on my mind for about a year. And then um, for the past uh, couple of months, it's just been getting stronger and stronger and um, I just wanted to start the year with it. I, I wanted to end with it, and uh, the staff kind of talked me out of it and said, why don't you not end? Let's start the year with that, and so I held off, and um, that's what I'm going to start this, this morning. So um, if you um, have been having your finger on the pulse of Christianity, then you're going to know exactly where I'm going with this, uh, this this morning. This is a very strong topic for the Christian church, evangelicals, especially in in the U.S., but certainly globally as well. And so if you've been reading any books, articles, watching Instagram reels, um, checking out YouTube channels from some of the most popular voices and teachers that are leading Christianity today, then you have heard some of the content of what I'm going to talk about this morning. And so I'm going to be talking on the topic of, of spiritual deconstruction. And so this is a word that has become uh, very popular over the past 18 to 24 months uh, for certain. And we're going to break it down just a little bit over the next three weeks. I'm, uh, I'm really going to, going to challenge you to look at this, uh, to have some guidelines, to be careful um, and just talk it out some, because I, th- I think we're to the point um, where the church not necessarily needs to take a strong, defined stance on it, but we need to have a conversation about it. And so that's what these next three weeks are going to be. If you have your Bible, I want you to go to Second Timothy, and um, or you can look at an app, or we'll show it to you, depending on how lazy you want to be this morning, okay? So Second Timothy chapter 3, and while, while you're going there, keep in mind that the context here is Timothy is not the author. Timothy is the recipient. The author is Paul. The context is that this is getting later in Paul's life. He's planted many churches around the Mediterranean rim. Timothy um, has been mentored by him. Uh, they are very uh, close. He looks at him as, as a son, and he is giving him one more warning that is going to be very um, feel. It's going to be filled with a lot of adjectives, and he's going to tell him, 
hey, this is what you can expect uh, for the church to deal with. And so I want to read that aloud, and I want us to just take our time here. This is 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5, and I'm reading it from the NIV. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, and unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Watch verse 5. This is very powerful. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. I mean, that's extremely strong, right? So he's saying, listen, I want to tell you there's going to be folks that act in a certain way, and I want you to know it, and we're going to have to, have to train people. We're going to have to tell pastors this is how things are going to go. And this is two millennia ago, but yet when we read this, I don't know how you feel, but things start coming up in my mind that are very relevant to right now. Front page stories, uh, reputable people uh, talking about these things that are happening. So I only say that to say this is something we can truly identify with. We look at the scripture, we go, we're not far from this. In many cases, as I was reading this, you can check the boxes on every single one of these. I know a circumstance that is this, and this, and this, and this, and this, or look at it through the lens of culture, this, 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 and we're checking it off, and we're matching up to it, and going, man, this is exactly what our world is like. So I want to focus on this one part, having the form of godliness, but denying its power. Now I want to preface this teaching on deconstruction by saying this. If you are here, and you have never heard of deconstruction, then this is going to be an educational series for you. But if you are here and you are considering deconstruction or you are in the middle of a process of deconstruction, then this series is going to serve two purposes. It's going to encourage you to do it in direct partnership with the Holy Spirit. And it's also going to encourage you to have accountability in the process. Meaning that when we deconstruct anything, you don't just need to be around people that are like-minded. You don't need to just be around an amen corner. 
Because you need to be with people who are going to help sharpen you as iron sharpens iron. And you've got to have people who will confront something and say, that's not right. That's not accurate. That's not true. And so sometimes if, if you leave your mind to be the only mind in the room, then you're going to come out with your own ideas always winning. And that's not a healthy place spiritually. So I think we have to start by defining de deconstruction. I'm going to give you two examples of what, the, what that would be. But I want us on the same page so that we can kind of work this out. For our purposes in this series, which is regarding the foundations of all the faith of every person in, the, in this room, we're going to define it as this. The taking apart of an idea or a practice or a tradition or a belief or a system in order to examine its foundation, its truthfulness, its usefulness, and its impact on your life. Okay, now put that into a simpler form. It's when a person pulls apart their faith and questions the experiences that they have had or been taught about core beliefs. Now, to ease your mind, deconstruction does not mean you're losing your faith. It doesn't mean you're quitting Christianity or doing something sinful. It could mean that you're asking big questions. As a matter of fact, in former days, what we call deconstruction now would have been called deep study or discipleship. But I'm going to tell you what the difference is between those two in just a moment. Because there's a huge difference between modern deconstruction and traditional discipleship. And we got to be careful. So, I don't have a problem with deconstruction if it has guardrails and if the end result is you not becoming an ex-evangelical. Okay, which is, is a term that is basically saying this. I deconstructed my faith, and now I've decided I'm no longer following Jesus. I've deconstructed my faith, and now the church is no longer relevant. I've deconstructed my faith, and now I've decided that Scripture is no longer sacred, but it's historical. And so now I'm an ex-evangelical. And you can go online to every social media platform and, and just hit hashtag exvangelical and find millions of posts and hot teachings about why this specific group has left their faith after a deconstruction process. And it's what I want to warn us about starting this year because I believe we have to accept a new year as a turning of, of the page, a reassessment of our lives, and as we look to become more like Christ, we have to do this process with great intentionality as if to say, Lord, I want your will in my life. I don't need my mind to win. I need your will to win in me. So, one of the underlying, here, here's the big challenge, and this is going to come out hot today with a little bit of a sting to it, but one of the underlying reasons, and the reason this is so challenging, is because 
deconstruction comes with an inner desire to be right rather than to be righteous. It's, I want to get into this, and I want to tear apart the scriptures or my experiences or beliefs I've been taught. I want to get to the core of my core beliefs so that I can possibly prove myself to be right. And this is one of the big differences between deconstruction or modern deconstruction and discipleship is because discipleship is about looking at the Word of God and saying, God, how do I take this Word and apply it to my life? How do I become more like Jesus using this Word? How do I get it in me? How do I become more like you? Rather than looking at it and saying, well, I have an opinion and a philosophy and an education And now I'm going to take the word and make it and formulate it and create a recipe for what my flesh wants and call that Christianity. So what's happening right now that's very dangerous that Paul was talking about, a form of godliness, is that many, many, many people who were believers are now going back to their core beliefs, pulling them apart in an attempt to punch holes in their theology that will permit them to live in such a way that pleases themselves rather than living in such a way that pleases Christ. So the deconstructionist in the end is able to say, I've created a brand or branch of Christianity that works for me. And if you want to believe your brand of Christianity and that works for you, I'm not not talking about denominations. I'm talking about deconstructing into a place to where the core foundations and belief of scriptures are now optional. So, If your motivation to deconstruct is just over moral issues, listen, I I get it. Why? Because we all have desires that we wish were okay, but they're not. But we've got many, multiple generations, my generation, the one below me, the one above me, that are going through Scripture now trying to refute and say, well, this part is sacred and this part isn't. I'm going to live my life around this, but I'm not going to live my life around this. And it's dangerous. So a cautionary statement, don't do this so you can live the way you want and call it Christianity. All right? That's dangerous. Let me give you a a, a little illustration of what I'm talking about. I want you to imagine this this book. This is an older book that I've read many, many times, but... I want you to imagine this book as as a Bible. This is what modern deconstruction is doing, and this is the difference between deconstruction and discipleship. They go into their Bible, and they open it up, and they start to read, and they go, well, and these are just some post-its that I've written down from conversations that I've had with with people. So they go, oh, oh, okay, so I'm reading about creation, 
That's got to be a farce. I mean, I lay that over the grid of science, and what many people don't realize is science is God's language to us. The more you understand science, the more you're understanding God. And so he's saying, well, listen, uh, God can't possibly have the opportunity to breathe into nothingness and cause something to come into existence, so that's going to go. Um. I don't believe in the Exodus. I mean, who could have uh, crossed, you know, a million people crossed over into dry, on, on dry land. There's no um, modern explanation of a group of a million people or more living in the, in the uh, Sinai Peninsula for a period of 40 years. We can't even find a single cup or plate from them. So that's, that's got to go. Um, the flood, I mean, that's got to be a joke, um, you know, that the whole earth would be flooded and one man and his family would be saved and repopulate the earth. It can't be true that Adam and Eve were the first people, um, given the fact that they were so intelligent that they made every single, they named every single animal that God gave them, and yet their predecessors could barely start a fire. That can't be them. I mean, that, that idea has got 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 to go. It can't be that God himself, because he is love, would destroy an evil city like Sodom and Gomorrah. That's got to go. The fact that the sun stood still for Joshua, that's got to be a joke. Um, The walls of Jericho falling down, that can't be true. I mean, that's just got to be made up stories to encourage a group of people. And then we go on. There's no way that Jonah was swallowed by a fish in order to save an entire city. So that's that's a joke. Um, there's there's no way uh, that God would have killed Job and his entire family to make a point about restoration. That's got to be out. Uh, women leaders, they 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 all got to go. So we'll pull out uh, Ruth and Deborah and Naomi and Elizabeth and Mary. And on, and, and Miriam, you know, she sang in public, which we know cannot happen, so that, that's got to go. Um, so let's get rid of all of that stuff, and then let's go ahead and turn over to the New Testament here. So Mary, uh, to say that she was a virgin, that's ridiculous, because we all know uh, biology, we understand that that's, that's impossible. The resurrection of Jesus, that's got to be crazy. Miracles, I don't even believe in miracles, so let's do away with Most of of the Gospels, the acts of the apostles are ridiculous. Don't get into spiritual gifts because they're all weird. We can leave fruit of the Spirit because that seems uh, plausible. Um, And then we go to Revelation. Well, you know, most of that has got to be symbolic. It can't be true, and it's scary, and I don't understand it. And there's ten horned beasts in there which are frightening to my children. I'm going to take all that out. And now... I'm ready to be a Christian. Can I get an one amen in the whole? Thank you, yeah. I'm proud of y'all because y'all are not even an amen in church. So you end up, this is what your life looks like. This is what, what, what you end up with. And so then you find people who have done the same thing and you pull them together and you call it a group and you call it a church and you call it Christianity and it's not. See, anytime you pull away from the sacredness of that book, anytime it becomes optional, anytime a group of people stand together and declare that Jesus was good, but he was not the son of God. 
That is no longer Christianity. It's a form of godliness, but it denies the power. It denies the truth behind it. And they've deconstructed to a point of being dangerous. So here's what's relevant. What's left? What's left is is the things that make you feel good and back up your life. It's like Matthew 7, 7. Like, oh, ask, and it shall be given to you. You shall receive it. Well, that's one we're leaving in there, right? Because that feels good. I may apply that everywhere. I'm going to ask my boss for a raise, expect to receive it. Ask my wife to talk less. Ask my kid to be more mature. Ask my fat cells to leave. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to, you know, ask, and it'll be given to me. That scripture feels good. It's staying. Nobody pulls out Matthew 7, 7 during deconstruction. Why? Because it backs up a desire to have and to want and to be greedy and to be a lover of themselves and to be boastful. Let me give you a hard example here. This is true, and I'm not trying to be crass. I'm trying to draw lines so that our brains understand what I'm talking about today. Think, think about this. Think about if you wanted to be a Muslim, okay? So you wanted to be a Muslim, and so you go to the Mormon, or Mormon, the Muslim community. I got my religions mixed up. You go to the Mormons, and you say, I'm a Muslim. (laughs) You want to be a Muslim, and so you go to the Muslim community, and you say this, Allah is God, but Muhammad is not his prophet. Or you say, out of the... 85, 86 surahs that are Meccan, I only believe 40 of them. Do you know what the Muslim community is going to say to you? You are not a Muslim. You can't come in here and, and, and split our belief. We don't know what you are, but you're not a Muslim. But for some reason, the church is allowing people to talk about Jesus Christ not being the Son of God, God not not being the sovereign creator, removing places of eternity from our teaching, removing the restriction of righteous behavior and calling it good, and then saying, I'm following Jesus. Well, I'm going to be one of those voices that says, no, you're not. I don't know who you're following, but it's not Jesus. You can have a place and a podium and a Christian t-shirt and, a, and, a, and an iPhone full of praise and worship music and have a form of godliness. But if you do not believe that Jesus Christ is the sovereign son of God, you are not a Christian. You can't change the narrative of Jesus and say you're following him. Now listen, what makes you a Christian is receiving his love and acknowledging his lordship. We all love the love part. Love being loved. But I don't like lordship. 
Not a single one of you, your flesh does not like lordship. But I'm going to use myself as an example so that I don't point anybody out, but here's the thing. When I decided on May 23rd of 1989 to give my life to Christ, I surrendered my life and will to his lordship. That means there are things I do not do, habits I will not engage, thoughts I will not entertain. There are words I refuse to say. Now, Robbie tempts me all the time to say them, but there are words I will not say. Why? Because I'm under his lordship. I am not my own. I was bought with a price, and you were too. So for me to be as pompous and arrogant is to say I am going to take the word of God and bend it to my life rather than submit to lordship removes you from being someone who is actively following Jesus and is grounds for repentance. Current generations, including mine, they are tempted, hear me, to want to save themselves rather than be saved. I've never seen anything like it in my life. As I follow and study and try to keep my finger on what's going on with the church and with culture and everything else, I've never seen people elevate an opinion like, like they are right right now. Refusal to be wrong. So rather than be saved, they say, I was not born into sin. I had a man just a few months ago tell me that. I was not born into sin. And so now we have an opinion a theory, philosophy, that we are elevating upward and we're putting the Word of God beneath it as an option. We need to come back to realizing that we are saved through faith because of the blood of Christ and His sacrifice for mankind. Because he loved us, he died for us. Now, I'm going to give you three examples really quick of de deconstruction. One of them is broken. I just want to thank the two guys that did that for us. I had a Lego thing set up, and it was supposed to be the front of a house. It had two little windows and a door. It took Johnson, Craig, and I about 30 minutes, and then I broke it and took another 20 minutes. So I can't be too mad. Here's the thing about this Lego house and how it applies to deconstruction is this. It kind of looks like a house, but it's not. It's, it's got features, right? So it had windows and a door and a little roof. But obviously, based upon what happened, you don't want to live in it. 
This is one trap of deconstruction. We look at our faith, we look at our walk with Christ, we look at how how we're living it out, and we go, it kind of looks like Jesus, but it's not. And we build with our hands and we forge it out, our faith, and suddenly we've got a system in place that says, "It's, it's okay, you can talk about forgiveness, but not really do it. Or you can come into the house of God and be okay with never worshiping. Because it kind of looks like Jesus. It's a form of godliness. And trust me, we can stay in this state for years. You can have a habit that you have justified and justified and justified. And it kind of looks like Jesus. You can have an attitude or bitterness that is harbored toward one person. The rest of your life, it looks like Jesus. But that one part is not surrendering, is not following, is not coming underneath the Lordship. And like many, 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 you go to those pages about submitting that part and you just want to tear it out. You just, you don't even want to look at it. You just want to take it out of Scripture and throw it out of your life and say it doesn't apply to me and I'll deal with God when I get to heaven on it. And you don't let your life come under the Lordship. It kind of looks like Jesus. Then, on the other hand, Sometimes deconstruction can look like this Jenga game. And what I mean by this is one, you pull one of the wrong core beliefs out of your life and the whole thing topples. The whole thing. I mean, how how Christian are we? How, How following... How much following of Jesus are we doing to to lose his sovereignty? To say his mother was not a virgin. And for some you think, well, that's not a big deal. It's a very big deal. Because it's it's biological proof that he's 100% man and 100% God. It's why he cries and weeps at the tomb of Lazarus. Because he's human. And the very next breath, says, Lazarus, come forth. He acts just like his dad when he does that. It's important. It's important to believe miracles, that lives were changed, that eyes were restored, that children who were deceased were brought back to life. It's important. It's important to believe that a flood came and a man was swallowed by a fish and the walls of a fortified city fell because of people's praise. And you start pulling that out of your life and suddenly none of this points to Jesus. And so when people go, I don't even know what to believe anymore, so I guess I'll just say I'm an ex-evangelical. Because I'm so tore up and my mind is so confused and my principles are so off and true north seems impossible to find again because I've been over here playing Jingo with my life and saying that the Bible is just historical and it's no longer sovereign. I don't have to forgive that person. 
And this is what makes discipleship different is because when we had discipleship, I'm going to talk about former days, but in our former days, discipleship meant, meant this. You got with a group of people, and you went over Scripture. And every person in that group became accountable, whether it was Sunday school or a life group or a home church. And you said to each other, basically, you held each other accountable. How are we going to adapt our lives to what we've just heard? Deconstruction is, let's read this and then agree or not agree that it's true. And then you've just played Jenga with your whole life. But let me give an example of what deconstruction could be. It could be like this Rubik's Cube. Okay. It's intact, but it's shifting. It's moving. Now, I'm not a Rubik's Cube guy. There are smart people who can do this in like 20 seconds or less. But my whole life, I have spent turning it, shifting it, trying to get a match trying to get pieces to come together, trying to get Genesis 2 to match up with Revelation 2, trying to get the message to Ephesus to match the one to Galatia. And I'm, it, it's all together. It's all intact. It's identifiable. It's not vague. But it is moving. And it's getting closer and closer and closer. And this is what our faith journey really is like. It's not taking parts out and then hoping that the engine will start. It's letting things shift and move. But you say, Kevin, I need to ask God a question. Yes, ask him. He tells you, seek, and you're going to what? Yes, you're going to find me. Don't have a form of godliness. And then deny the power that funds that. Don't, don't just come in and, and play church. Be the church. Don't just say you're a Christian because this month or this year it's popular. Man, be a follower of Jesus with your whole life. Every story, every secret. Every habit is under his lordship. And God, I'm going to seek. I'm going to keep turning. There's going to be times that this is frustrating. And you put it down, you say, today, I, I can't. I can't stretch myself today. I can't think about it today because God is so much bigger than me. Trust me, listen, you want him to be bigger than you. Hello? If you can figure him out, draw him on a piece of paper, show him to your friends, Lead him around like a dog on a leash. He is not God. There needs to be big gaps in our understanding of God. Why? Because that makes him God. Even Paul says, hey, listen, guys, we're looking through a glass darkly. We're not going to know it. It's, he, I love the word. He, he said it's mystery. And those mysteries should not cause a lapse in our faith. They should reinforce the fact that he's God and we're not. God, I got a situation I don't understand. Good. 
God, I don't know why in the world that you would do. Good. God, this thing is so much bigger than me. Good. Because that means you don't get him, you don't understand him, and you need him. And there's going to be days where we look at this like weeks of prayer and fasting. I'm going to dedicate time. I'm going to carry this with me all week. I'm going to turn my TV off. I'm not going to eat as much pizza. I'm going to be still. I'm going to tell my girls to go away. And I'm going to flip this thing. I'm going to turn it. I'm going to get out the question marks I've written down in my journal, and I'm going to try to make dots connect. Why? Because the goal is this, to know more about him without believing less about him. That's when you're safe. No more. Seek. Learn. Ask the question. Challenge yourself. Sure. But don't start yanking stuff out that are sovereign and true and holy and above your understanding. And you may be here today and you say, Kevin, I, I know right now from you talking this morning, I need to come back under the lordship of Jesus. Mission accomplished. I have to do it all the time. I have to tell the Lord, there's an area in my life that needs to come back under the Lordship. There are thoughts i got to hold captive. There are attitudes that I've got to surrender to Christ. And I don't have to. Why? Because my will allows me to choose, and the world accepts it. I could get on Facebook or Instagram today and make the nastiest, meanest comment I wanted to about anything, and I would get 500 likes. I'd get 500 hates, but I'd get 500 likes. But what I choose to do is go, Lord, I'm not my own. And I received your love, but I also received your lordship. And be Lord in my life over every thought, over every behavior, over every habit, over every secret. You are Lord to me. God, I pray today over every person in the room. Lord, as we sit here today, in the atmosphere of your spirit, I pray over every heart. God, today we, we start another year. And we simply ask you to be Lord. Less of me, more of you. Help me to crucify myself daily. God, I don't want to just look like the church. I just don't want to look like a follower. 
I want to be one. Lord, I want to know more and believe more in 2022 than I ever have. Fill our lives with your spirit. God, you can have everything in me. There's nothing I possess. There's no relationship I have that you can't have. Lord, if I'm puffed up in any area of my life, you can have it. Lord, if there's anything in me that wants to boast, if there's anything in me that wants money, if there's anything in me that wants to put something in this world before you, you can have it. You can have my house. You can have my vehicles. My family belongs to you. Lord, the vision I have for my daughter, the goals I want for her, you can have those. Do with her what you want. Lord, my marriage is yours. Everything. You can have it. I put my life under your lordship. Will you hold your hands out in front of you this morning right there where you sit and just say, Lord, I receive your love and I receive your lordship. Put love in one hand and lordship in the other. Right now, today, God, we surrender everything to you, everything. God, if I'm on the fence about anything, will you just bring me in like a shepherd who loves a sheep? God, just bring us back, bring us back. Lord, if there's anything I need to repent over, Lord, if there's a scripture that I need to activate in my life, do it now. Lord, as we start a week of sacrificing our flesh and going after you, just reveal things to us this week, God. Put a light in every corner of our, of our heart. In Jesus' name.